0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Exodus in the 16th chapter. Beginning at verse 13 and continuing through verse 18. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather in according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons, but... Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John in the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 41 and continuing through verse 51. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then the Jews began to complain about him, Jesus, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am. The living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Over the course of this past week, among other things, I have spoken and tried to comfort and encourage, a widow who lost her son, I've officiated at the interment of remains of another family's loved one, I've met with a couple to discuss the baptism of their young child, I've led a Bible study on the oracles of woe delivered by the prophet Amos against his own people, and I wrote a little sermon for today. All of these events, plus a few more that I won't bore you with, taken together have served to remind me just how very important it is to be grounded in the Word of God. Just how vital for Christians to be continuously fed by the Word of God, the bread of heaven, the Spirit of the living God. And yes, while it is probably a good thing, that a minister of the word and sacrament would seek to be grounded in the word of God and fed by the bread of heaven so that he or she can carry out their holy offices, it is no less important for any and all who would call themselves Christian to be about this sacred business as well. It is that which sustains us just as the bread in the wilderness that miraculously appeared beside Elijah as he slept, provided him the nourishment needed for the living out of his particular calling, just as the quails and the manna in the wilderness were sufficient, if a bit boring after a while, to give the Hebrews the energy they needed to continue their wilderness sojourn. God has a history of provision for his creatures, and that history extends from the past into the present and is promised long into the future as well. In this morning's reading from the Gospel according to John, Jesus is reiterating his claim to be the bread of life, the bread of heaven that has come down from above to sustain the people of God through all their days, in all their circumstances. And that claim of his was controversial the people of the region were after all quite familiar with this jesus fellow he was the son of joseph the carpenter and of mary his young wife many had known the family for jesus's whole life to hear him now claiming to be something other or at least something more than they well knew him to be was not well received. They knew how a carpenter's son was supposed to look and act, and they also knew how a prophet was supposed to look and act, and they also had a preconceived notion about how a Messiah was supposed to look and act. A person was not free to assume another role at will. The claim that Jesus makes about being the bread of life, the bread of heaven that has come down from above to sustain the people of God through all their days, that claim was controversial in his day and that claim remains controversial even now. Other faith traditions from ours consent to be believing in Jesus as being something more than simply a carpenter's son. They acknowledge him to be a prophet, one of a number of spokespersons that God has used throughout history to bring a word to the people. But they stop there and can't make the leap of trusting in that he was and is so much more even than just that. And we, too, may find it a challenge to believe, at least sometimes. In fact, we could not believe it at all on our own. That's the reality that Jesus references when he says that no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. That phrase, that phrase right there is so pivotal to the entire message, not just of this text, not just of this gospel, not just of the New Testament, but the message of all of God's revelation to his children that it bears repeating. No one, Jesus says, can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. We who believe, we have been chosen to believe. There are few more central doctrines in all of theology that we embrace as Reformed Christians, than this one right here. And from my experience, in listening to the way people talk and watching the way people act, I would also argue it's one which most folks are either unaware of, unaccepting of, or simply stubbornly refuse to accept. Its importance in our relationship with our Creator can hardly be overstated, and one might summarize it as the doctrine of the great, not me, because it begins from without. Yes, folks, newsflash, this just in, believe it or not, just as the geocentric hypothesis of the Earth at the center of the solar system was supplanted by the heliocentric, placing the sun at center stage, the homocentric hypothesis has given way to the theocentric, moving man out and God in to the core of the cosmos. And so it is that with God being primary and the humans he created not primary, Jesus can make this bold and true claim for and about God that no one comes to God until and unless they are drawn to him, In other words, you may think that your conversion was the result of a decision that you made in high school youth group, or at a church camp, or at a low point in your life when you heard the evangelist's call at the tent revival and you walked down the sawdust trail, or even when you listened to that friend or maybe even the pastor who invited you to pray that sinner's prayer, but the revealed truth in and from God's word is this, that all such acts as these are merely outward responses to an inward grace already extended to us. Without God already having moved in our hearts, we are incapable of moving our hands, our feet, our minds, our lips or our souls, to express our trust, our faith, and our love. We love, writes this same gospel author, because, and I would add, only because, he first loved us. We can accept God only because we have been accepted by God. That we have been accepted by God is just what Jesus came to teach and to show. It is the meaning of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. God moved to bring all things into being. God moved to make covenant with a people of his choosing. God moved to make an atonement for all our sins. God moved to draw us to him, and you can't outdraw God." A British-born expatriate preacher by the name of A.W. Pink some years ago observed it was not Adam who sought God, but God who sought Adam. And this has been the order ever since. So. Why make such a big deal out of what might sound like a splitting of hairs? Well, because it is anything but a splitting of hairs. It has to do with a belief system. One that is focused outward as opposed to one that's focused inward. Christianity has never been about me and my Jesus. No, that's where the I in idolatry comes from. It has always been so much bigger so much larger than just that. Our faith is not about, what have you done for me lately? Where's my manna? It's 6.30 already and my plate's still empty, God. If you don't hurry up, I'm gonna be late for work. When folks go that direction, believing when they get their way and losing faith when they don't get their way, they've got it quite backwards. For we don't own God, and he doesn't owe us anything. Rather, we are his possession, and we owe him everything. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John R. W. Stott observed, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. If we order our lives around the notion of acknowledging and responding to all he has done, is doing, and will do, out of his boundless love and unmerited, undeserved grace, we are, I believe, closer to becoming the beings he has created us to be. We can be more thankful, people, when we reorient our lives and our beliefs this morning as I promised I would tell you about my socks, I was looking for my socks. I have black socks to wear on Sunday. I have three pair. This week, I washed, as I do every week, a lot of laundry included in that laundry, I swear to you, were at least one pair of socks, black socks. Well, this morning, when I went to my sock drawer and opened it up, there were no black socks. There was one in the corner, which was not part of those three pairs that I rotate. It was just a rogue sock from many years ago. And it has a pattern on it, which is a problem. See, my other socks don't, so it's easy to match. This one does, that's more of a problem. I haven't seen the match to that sock in ages, so staring at my sock drawer, wondering what I was going to do, I plunged my hand in to see if perhaps one of those washed pairs of socks had wandered away into the back. And when I pulled my hand out, in it, miraculously, was a patterned black sock that matched the other one. I had found a pair of socks, only I didn't find that sock. I was drawn to that sock. I know it's a silly metaphor and illustration, but it serves the point that what we find in our lives is not a result of our searching, it's a result of God's revealing. God continues to reveal himself over and over to us and sometimes we're just stumbling around in the dark and happen to run into it. Sometimes we can't miss it, but it is always God who is here first, draws us to him. If we order our lives around this notion, the notion that no one deserves to be drawn to the Savior, we find ourselves equals at the foot of the cross. Such knowledge is, I think, helpful as we try to order our days after the manner and in response to the one who came to serve and to draw us closer to our Heavenly Father. The one who is the bread of life that will never grow stale, but always remain fresh to sustain us on the journey to which we have been called and for which we were created. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.